God is good all the time. Welcome to everybody joining us online. Welcome to our CM campus. Really excited to be here tonight. Today, I was preparing, as I always do, kind of finishing up my thoughts, and I felt a little bit like an old trail guide on a familiar trail who suddenly discovers something they've never seen before. And I am so excited to bring that to you tonight. So it is with great anticipation that I lead you along this stretch of the trail. Welcome back to Reign of Freedom, verse by verse, walk through the book of Colossians. We will be visiting ancient Colossae uh, a year and some change from now. I mean, like in September. So about a year from now, we'll be visiting. I just was reading some archaeology because what can I say? I'm boring. So I was reading some archaeology, and what I've discovered is if we would have gone, if you go to ancient Colossae um, a year ago, what you would see for the ruins of the city would be an area slightly elevated to the area around it. You know, nothing. But they are actually uh, beginning the process of digging down into the city and, and seeing what's there. So by the time we get there next year, there actually may well be something for us to see. So I'm really excited about that. So if God's kind of pinging you to be a part of that pilgrimage, there are some brochures right outside. We're going to go through Turkey. We're going to go to Greece. And it's going to be an incredible, incredible journey. And so uh, just ask you to hold that in your heart and see what God might have to say. As always, I'm, I'm delighted to, to be the, your trail guide here. It's an honor that I never take for granted. It's something I work really hard at. And uh, thank you. Just thank you. This book was written to address the dangerous theological baggage that had accumulated in the backpack of the Church of Colossae. Paul's task is to keep the sound doctrine in and get the false teaching out. It's really tricky work. The task was additionally complex because Paul did not personally know this congregation. He didn't personally know anyone in it. They would have known of Paul, but no one had any cathartic sense of him whatsoever. Nobody had warm feelings about Paul because they went to high school together. It was nothing like that. So would they trust him enough to take his advice? He just didn't know. Some churches didn't. So last week, we explored Paul's strategic introductions. They're going to continue this week, and we're going to get more out of them than you can imagine. Let's take a look at where we are. So here we are at Christ Church. Let's pull on up. You say, why are we headed west? Because, my friends, these days we fly. We don't have to walk or ride boats. So we're going to go all the way across the world. There is Spain, France, Frankfurt. There's now a direct flight from St. Louis to Frankfurt. All roads go through Frankfurt now. And then if we head on to Istanbul, kind of gives you an idea, old Constantinople. Then we're actually going to push back a little bit east, a whole lot south to Colasse. That's where we are in the world. Let's get at it. Verse 7 and 8. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. 
He told us about the love, about your love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Friends, I just want to be real clear about something. What makes an assembly a church service? The Holy Spirit. One of the things I love about Wednesday nights is for whatever reason, I think the Holy Ghost likes worshiping with us on Wednesday night. For whatever reason. I just feel the presence of God when I am here. And, and tonight, when I was worshiping, have you ever just really gotten caught up in worship? And, and it's a feeling of inexpressible joy. Just inexpressible joy. You may not have one happy thing going on in your life, but if you get caught up in worship, there's inexpressible joy. It's kind of like heaven practice, and it's incredible. So the good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when you hear the word good news, that means the gospel of Jesus Christ. In its essence, it's forgiveness of sin, being made right with God through Jesus Christ. It's that simple, and it was first brought to this community by Epaphras. Epaphras is a very common name during this time across Asia. There's going to be a lot of people with that name. Anybody know the most common name in America so far in 2023 this year? Noah. How's that? So there's going to be a whole lot of Noahs starting first grade in about seven and a half years. So Epaphras was that kind of name. I mean, a lot of people name Epaphras. Like many formal Christian names, Epaphras uh, was probably shortened from Epaphroditus, which would have been the whole name. So it'd be kind of like if your real name's William and they call you Will, right? So Epaphras is shortened for Epaphroditus. Probably the same Epaphroditus or Epaphras that we meet in the book of Philemon. Epaphras has a common name, but he's an uncommon person. In fact, he's a very, very special person. Do you know anybody you just kind of consider to be special? Just kind of out of the ordinary. Whatever's going on with them, it's something different than what a lot of other people have going on. I remember growing up, I was watching my grandson Eli's baseball game before I came tonight. I went and watched a few innings before church, and and they play music all the time. And it's so funny because you, you sit there at times and you listen to these modern songs and you wish you were dead. <laughs> and, then, and then sometimes they'll play like rap songs from when my son, who's now almost 40, was in high school, right? They, they kind of got that thing. And then they throw songs with actual melodies and for the old people. They just kind of toss those in. And when you, you hear those things, it's something that, that you connect with. It's, it's something that, that you say, okay, here we go. This is something familiar. But I remember when I was actually in high school hearing all these songs. Every now and then, you would hear a band, and you would think, I'm not sure what they're up to, but it's something different than everybody else. E-L-O. I wasn't sure what they were up to, but they had a violin. Right? They were up to something different. Steely Dan. They were doing something different than everybody else. Well, Epaphras has a name that a lot of people have, but he's got something really special about him. I think many of us have special people or maybe even a special person in our lives. Maybe a family member, coach, teacher, professional mentor in whatever you do. 
But most of us also have a special Jesus person in our life, maybe two or three. You know, often there are many lights that shine into our lives, but some shine more brightly than others. For adult converts, a lot of times the the most brightly shining light is that person that initially led you to Jesus. That person that that was there, that just led you to Jesus. Well, it kind of works the same with congregations. When I go speak at churches and, and hear the stories of churches and consult with pastors, almost every congregation in America had a good old days. And it's always associated with pastor so-and-so, that they ran off, but they've forgotten that. <laughs> they did. They, they forgot it. They ran this dude off, but they've forgotten that. And now that pastor represents the good old days. There's always special people in these congregations, some gone, but those, those special people are just bright lights in those congregations. They'll always be remembered. And even long after they're gone, they continue to help shape and and form. You know, I kind of think of them as the Hall of Famers. Every church has a few Hall of Famers. For a five-year-old church like the one in Colossae, Epaphras is a Hall of Famer. He is such an individual. In fact, he is probably their guy. When you go to Bush Stadium, there are statues all around the stadium. They're all roughly the same size, except one, Stan Musial. Stan Musial is huge. You want to know why? Because he's just the greatest ball player that St. Louis managed to produce, and he played there a long, long time. There's a lot of iconic figures, a lot of players we remember, but there's only one, Stan the man. He's a guy that's got the big statue. I'm sure the church at Colossae had a lot of people that were contributors, a lot of people that were volunteers, people that really gave a lot, but nobody, nobody stood out like Epaphras. He is their guy, and that's important to understand. He planted the church, they knew him, they loved him. Mentioning a favorite son like Epaphras is actually a good tactical move on Paul's part. It's wise. When I go speak at churches, I will often, not often, I will always open by saying something nice about the pastor. Just just say something nice. Uh, If I like them a great deal and and they've given me a lot of great material, then it's really, really easy. And frankly, if a church asks me to go speak and I'm not crazy about the pastor, I turn them down. So I don't really go anywhere that I don't really like the pastor, but I'll always open up by just making reference to to my connection with the pastor, how blessed I think that church is to have this pastor, what they mean to me, I'm always gonna open up right there. You see, when Paul mentions Epaphras, it endears him to the people of Colossae. They know Epaphras, but they don't know Paul. And and this is a really smart way to go. And I've noticed that when I... uh, speak kindly of pastors when I'm a guest speaker, that it goes really, really well. I mean, really well, especially if the congregation likes the pastor. And it goes tremendously well if they love the pastor. I'm in because the pastor is in. Epaphras planted the churches in the Lycus Valley, included Colossae, Laodicea, one of the churches to which Jesus wrote the seven letters in Revelation, 
and Hierapolis. He's to the Colossians what Paul was to the Philippians. All right? So Paul probably first met Epaphras in Ephesus. We know Paul was there around two and a half years from 53 to 56 A.D. It's as long as Paul ever stayed anywhere because Paul just had wanderlust. He's always on the move, but he stayed in Ephesus for two and a half years. We know Epaphras later volunteered to assist Paul during his time in prison. Now, I don't believe this is the same Epaphroditus that we met in Philippians. I don't think it's the same guy. They both serve Paul in prison, but it's a really common name, and they're simply not from the same neck of the woods. The Epaphroditus in Philippians is a European. The Epaphras in Colossians is an Asian. Epaphras is a high-level leader. And he's commended by Paul as being beloved, faithful, and helpful. All extremely high praise from Paul, who's pretty critical. Anything Paul knows of the Colossians, he knows it from Epaphras. So the Colossians would have considered any encouragement, critique, or prophetic word coming from Epaphras as fair and legitimate. He was a coach that the athletes trusted completely. Paul is credible because Epaphras is credible. So in a sense, Paul is stepping in to Epaphras' credibility. When I first came to Christ Church in July of 1997, Ralph Philippi was our pastor of visitation. He was in his 70s, and the congregation loved him. And they didn't know me, but they loved Ralph. Ralph took a liking to me early. And looking back, I figure his endorsement of my ministry saved me three years of having to prove myself. Ralph bought me three years. The people bought in to me because they had bought in to Ralph, and Ralph bought in to me. The people of Colossae bought into Epaphras, and Epaphras was bought into Paul, who was bought into Epaphras. You get the idea. That's what Paul's doing here. Sometimes the Bible gives us unexpected truths that we could have never anticipated. And what I'm about to share with you is is this epiphany I did not see coming. So my excitement level is high. Sometimes even an old trail guide discovers something really wonderful. It takes their breath away. This is really that. In describing why Epaphras was so loved by the church at Colossae, we're actually given the secret sauce to Christian significance. This is like finding gold in a mountain stream when you went just to splash around. Jesus taught that we can live for heaven or we can live for earth, but we don't get to do both. He said to store up our riches in heaven and not on earth where they could be moth-eaten, rusty, stolen. In Jesus's kingdom, we have a contrarian beat. You become rich by giving, you become great by serving, you live by dying to self. This is a constant theme of Colossians as well. You want to live, die to self. Paul boldly proclaims the only path to freedom 
is found in submitting to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ in our lives. Paul says Jesus is not a trail that leads to God. He is the trail that leads to God. Now stay with me. Such dichotomies challenge us to think about heaven as opposed to earth. And that challenges to think about success as opposed to significance. The parable that we call the parable of the rich fool. In that parable, Jesus spoke of a man who was successful. He had everything this world had to offer, and he leveraged his wealth to serve only himself. He was highly successful in the eyes of the world. Everything went his way. He made good business decisions for him. And you know the saying, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry? It comes from that parable. That's where it comes. That's what this guy decides. I've got the world by the tail. I have absolutely cornered the market. I've sold everything out. I am rich. I can live for me. I don't have to worry about anything. And Jesus said that night he died. He died. And he discovered that he had accumulated no heavenly currency whatsoever. You see, if you want to be successful, invest in yourself. Improve yourself. Credential yourself. Establish yourself. Market yourself. Climb the ladder as high as it will take you. Significance, that's a different thing entirely. By detailing why Epaphras was so loved by the Colossians, we get the secret to Christian significance. So let's look at the secret that is revealed to us in the text. Epaphras was, number one, invested in others. Sharing history with people is a powerful thing. It's sort of unthinkable that I came here as a United Methodist minister, about 35 years of age, and if things worked like they always worked, I would have left three to five years later because that's what Methodist ministers do. When I arrived here, the church was running about 200. If this church had done like other Methodist churches have done, they'd be running about 90 now. That's just how it rolled. I share history with a lot of you. Uh, We've been doing this over 25 years. That's a quarter of a century. We share history. Some of you officiated your weddings, baptized your babies, baptized your teenagers when they accepted Jesus. Some of you, I, I married, I officiated your wedding, and I'll, I'll officiate your, your children's weddings too. We're, we're starting to build multi-generational journeys together here. Sharing history is a powerful thing. I, I, I love you in ways that you will never fully realize. Significance cannot be measured by what we have. Significance is measured by what we give away. Epaphras gave his life to the church at Colossae and to the church planting movement in the middle first century. He planted 
their church. He helped them root in faith. He set up the local leadership. He stayed in tough times to guide them and to advise them as a spiritual father. Epaphras invested in others. You want to be significant? Invest in others. So let me ask you a significance question. Who are you investing in right now? Who are you investing in? At work, who are you investing in? Who are you pouring into right now? As a Christian person, who are you pouring into? You say, well, I can't name names. That means you don't have any. Right? You know? It's kind of like asking someone in high school, you know, who's your girlfriend? Well, I can't remember. That means you don't have one. (laughs) Epaphras invested in others. Who are you investing in? You want to be significant? I'd love it if you don't have an answer to that question now that, that you would in a month. How's that? Number two, Epaphras was just concerned. He cared. He cared. Paul would have never known what was going on if Epaphras had not told him. I can imagine Paul's group getting together and praying in prison. I can imagine him asking for prayer requests. What's on your heart? What what do you want to pray about? And maybe it was within this context that Epaphras shared the challenges afflicting this church. In that very moment, Epaphras does something pretty incredible. He turns his worries into prayers, and those prayers turn into action. You want to get a hold of something? Turn your worries into prayers, and then turn your prayers into action. Our prayers often reflect what is breaking our hearts. Our prayers often reflect what is breaking our hearts. How might you tonight... Turn your worries into prayer. And then how might you turn your prayers into tangible action? Epaphras wasn't just concerned. He also did something. Number three, Epaphras was faithful. Just faithful. Epaphras was in it with the Colossians. He wasn't just a biological father to the church. He was a dad. He was in it. I remember once Melissa told me when our kids were maybe eighth grade, late junior high, kind of that area, you know, freshman, sophomore, they're kind of cycling through. And, and Melissa, you know, they're doing what they do. And Melissa's kind of frustrated that things aren't going the way she thought it would go in every conceivable way. It's kind of like the old thing, you know, I used to have eight theories on raising children and no children, and now I have eight children and no theories. It was that kind of thing, you know. And I remember once Melissa just set me down, and uh, she said, Shane, I need you in it. I never will forget, I need you in it. You, these, you can't just sit on the sidelines and expect that these are going to become godly kids. I need you in it with me. Epaphras was in it. He's faithful. He's faithful. When things got tough, he doesn't abandon the missionary enterprise. When some heresy slips in, he doesn't abandon them. He stays with them. He's in it. Some years ago, I watched the Kansas City Royals game at Kauffman Stadium. I was just kind of walking around the stadium, getting a feel for the ballpark. And I saw a very modest Royals Hall of Fame section. It was sort of underneath the stands. But it was really, really modest. So I stopped. I'm a, I'm a baseball fan. And, and I stopped to read the names. 
And with the exception of George Brett, who is their Stan Musial, uh, these people in their Hall of Fame, I would guess, are not household names for anybody. And you'd have to be a decent baseball fan to know who a lot of them were. Some of them, they were all good players, but very few of them were great players. Not the kind of people you expect to be in the Hall of Fame, even with an individual team like the Royals. So I thought about all of the players that I remembered who'd rolled through Kansas City. They had a lot better players roll through Kansas City than most of those players that were in their Hall of Fame. But none of those players were in this group. And and so I'm starting to put pieces together and trying to, to, to get my head around what's happening, and then it just hit me. All of these players played their whole career in Kansas City. They chose to make Kansas City their home. They invested in the team. They invested in the community. Some of them had opportunities to go elsewhere and make more money as free agents, and they didn't take them. Some of them had the opportunity to go to winning teams, and they didn't go because they wanted to be a part of that team. They built their careers in Kansas City. They built their lives in Kansas City. Not all were Hall of Fame caliber successful, but they were all Hall of Fame caliber significant because they were loyal royals. They were faithful. They were faithful. You want to be successful? Do a great job at your job? Wait till you get the next offer, go somewhere else, do a great job. Wait till you get the next offer, go somewhere else, do a great job. You will be successful. You can go as high as that ladder will take you. You want to be a significant person? Stay somewhere one in one place for a long time. Invest in people. That's where significance happens. Number four, Epaphras was sacrificial. He sacrificed We may well wonder, if Epaphras was so concerned about the Colossians, why wasn't he there? That's a fair question. Why wasn't he there in person? And the answer is that he chose to share a jail cell and share in the sufferings of Paul. He didn't do the easy thing. He did what God asked him to do. But he still cared deeply for the Christians of Colossae. As I get older, I'm increasingly aware that every great opportunity I've ever had in my life was made available to me by the sacrifices of others. I'm humbled by that. And I believe that with all of my heart. I often think about those who sacrificed for me. But I need to ask myself, who am I sacrificing for now? If you've come to Christ Church in the past five years, you are the recipient of sacrifices that were made by those who came before you. Some of them surround you. Some of them are long deceased. But the church you walked into the first time you got here, other people visioned that. Other people sacrificed for that. Other people paid for that. They sacrificially invested in capital campaigns by giving more than their share because the Holy Spirit pinged and they believed in the church and they wanted things to be ready by the time you arrived. 
I remember in one of our early capital campaigns, I said, guys, I, it was when we were building the big sanctuary, and I said, guys, I fully realize we can fit all of us in here now, but I truly believe God wants to bring more people than we can hold. And if we'll step out in faith and sacrifice, I think God will honor that. And he has. This fall, we'll begin another capital campaign to repair infrastructure and renovate the sanctuary and and, and, and we'll improve our ability to, to broadcast to our campuses and, and to broadcast throughout the world through the internet. When we get to that time, you may wonder, well, Reverend Shane, do you have trepidation in asking us to give? Not a bit. Not a bit. Don't lose a bit of sleep over it. No, no. It's time for us to sacrifice for the next generation just like the previous generations have sacrificed for us. It's just our turn. And we have an incredible opportunity in front of us to do just that. It's time for us to ensure that our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren have every opportunity to connect to Jesus Christ through the reach of Christ Church. And that is something we do with joy. Number five, Epaphras was helpful. I'm really big on this. Being helpful is the most underrated quality in our world today. You, you want it. People ask me all the time, how do I get to be on staff at a church? And I will tell them, volunteer, make yourself indispensable by being helpful. By being helpful. Just be helpful. It is so easy that almost no one does it. Helpful people make a place for themselves in our lives. Have you ever been in need of somebody helped you? You don't forget that. You don't forget the people that were there when no one else was there. You don't forget the people that were your friend when it was hard to be your friend. You don't forget that. You know, throughout my ministry, I feel a little bit like one of those guys in the city that sits on the ground and plays a guitar and opens up the guitar case and people throw money in. And my whole life, I've kind of been playing what I play. And sometimes people said, wow, that's really great. And other times they said, that's just terrible. But what people think doesn't really matter. What matters is that we are being faithful to what God has asked us to do. Our value is not determined by public opinion. Our value is determined by being obedient to Christ. And a lot of times people want to do big things. And, and I don't know if you consider my job as like a big thing, but it, it's live my life for about a week or two, and then you can make an assessment on that. Somebody was talking to me. They, they said, man, I realize how hard it is for, to preach and teach and to do two teachings a week and, and to, to do the preparation necessary. I just realized how hard that is. I'm sitting there thinking, preaching and teaching are the easiest things I do. It's the other stuff. It's really, really hard. And you know what? In those difficult times, some of you have just been helpful. You've helped me in tough times. You've helped me. You know, maybe I'm playing my guitar and you brought me a large diet drink with ice in it. You were just helpful. Those of you that's just been helpful, maybe it's not flashy and 
all that, but thank you. Thank you. You see that somebody needs a chair. Find one and get it for them and set it up. You know, it's so easy, almost no one does it, but Epaphras was helpful. Helpful people make a place for themselves. Entitled and ungrateful people clear spaces for others. Helpful people find spaces. Entitled people clear spaces for the helpful. Never forget that praying for someone is doing something. It is helping. But also listen for that ping after you pray. God will often prompt us through prayer to take helpful action. So think of it as prayer with a ping chaser. That's kind of what we're looking for. Pray and then just stay open to the ping. That is one way to be helpful. You see a need? Help. Somebody's in need? Help. You say, I can't do everything. Then do something. Did you know not being able to do everything doesn't excuse us from doing something? Be helpful. And number six is the last one, but Epaphras was encouraging. He had the gift of lift. We need far fewer critics in our world and far more encouragers. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Most people know what they're doing wrong. They don't need more criticism. They need encouragement to do what is right. Paul is carefully wording this introduction, and I assure you that Epaphras is proofreading, saying, Paul, say a few more nice things before you talk about this other stuff. Paul, make sure they know you care about them and and that you're aware of all the good things that they're doing. Paul, I think you skipped a good thing. The significant people in my life all share one thing in common. They all encouraged me, all of them. Now, some of them also kicked me in the seat, but only after encouragement. If somebody just kicks you in the seat and doesn't encourage you or care about you, I mean, all you can really think to do with them is break their leg. (laughs) But if people love and care about you and you truly believe that they're acting in your best interest and for your own good, you receive that well. I'm grateful for some of the people who loved me enough to kick me in the seat, but the only reason I was able to receive that was because I knew they loved me. You're going to have to encourage people, you know, probably 20 times for every one time you offer critique. So the next time you're, you're about to go on a critique run, like you're going to criticize somebody two times in a row, just realize you need to fill in about 20 encouragements before you get to number two, or they won't be able to hear it. I think we all appreciate the people who have encouraged us, and we know who they are, and we could quickly name them, but can I ask you a question? Who are you encouraging right now? Who are you encouraging? You say, I don't really have names. That means you don't have any. Who are you actively encouraging right now? What if we flooded people with encouragement and then sprinkled them with critique? I got a little challenge for you. So we'll call it the penniless challenge. Here's the challenge. I want to challenge you to intentionally encourage three people a day. So every morning, grab three pennies. Stick them in your pocket. Three pennies. Every time you encourage someone, just take a penny out of your pocket, 
Your goal is to give away three pennies every day. Get rid of those pennies. Tomorrow, just reload. Reload the card. Just intentionally encourage people. Start getting a lifestyle of encouragement. It will make a huge difference. Earlier this year, I went to lunch with a colleague. We were about to leave when my friend approached this manager. And I had no idea what he was up to. And this friend of mine's pretty unpredictable, which is part of the reason I like him. And he, he walks up to this manager and he goes, you watch things, don't you? And I thought, where's this guy going? He goes, I can see that you carefully pay attention to all of your employees and all of your customers. I can see that you care about the details of everything that's happening here. And that guy literally went like this. You ever seen somebody straighten up? You know, your parents ever tell you to straighten up? This is what they meant. This guy literally straightened up and my friend looked at him and he pointed right at him and he goes, that gift is gonna take you a long way. Awesome. You know, I, was, I didn't have one thing to do with it. I was just jazzed to be on the show. <laughs> awesome. And I thought, I'm going to try that, right? Why not try that? It was so cool. Did you know you can do that yourself? It's not like those commercials that say, don't try this at home. You can do that. You can do that. So let's give energy infusions by intentionally offering encouragement to others. What if we straighten some people up with encouragement? Verse nine. So we've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. Paul's doubling back here. You double back on a trail when you think you might've missed something. It's always easier to go back now than it will be later. Paul said, did you catch it when I mentioned that I'm praying for you? Well, I don't just pray for you sometimes. I pray for you all the time. So as, as Paul heard about the church, the Holy Spirit prompted his heart first to know, then to pray, and then to write. Ping, ping, ping is what was happening to Paul. Paul may not yet have been special to the Colossians, but through the work of the Holy Spirit, the Colossians were already special to Paul. You're never gonna be used to encourage somebody if they don't become special to you. They need to be special to you. And then he says, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is our first foray into the reason for the writing of this letter. Though this appeal to God for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding could have a Greco-Roman philosophical interpretation, I think this petition's firmly rooted in the Judeo-Christian tradition. Paul will often use common, even pagan language to describe Christian things because you gotta remember, he's got a Jewish long and a Roman gill. He's a master interpreter of culture. He can tell pagans about Jesus using language they understand. He's brilliant. The Colossians have commendable knowledge of Christ, but Paul says, I want it to be complete. He wants their theological backpack to be as light as possible and, and still contain everything they need. 
To keep minds and hearts open to God's forthcoming message, Paul prays for wisdom, which is the ability to helpfully apply knowledge, and understanding, the ability to fully grasp what God is saying. So Paul can share the truth that God has put on his heart for the church, but only Classe can decide whether or not to hear it and heed it. All you can do is speak into somebody's life. It's up to them what they do with it. All you can do with 500 is, is make the invite. It is up to them what they do with that invitation. Paul can share the truth, but once he shares it, it's beyond his security clearance. But Paul wants to give them every chance to later consider his instructions. So he chooses his opening words wisely. And I just want to share with you, we do well to follow suit in our lives. We do well to choose our words wisely if we're going to trust God to use us to encourage other people. Significant people choose their words wisely. Let's wrap this up. Every Wednesday night, we gather here to worship and to open our hearts to God's word. We take it a book at a time. We take it a verse at a time. The Bible contains a double ring. So what Paul wrote was for the Christians at Colossae, but what he writes here is equally intended for us in our own time. Paul is writing to them. He's writing to us. You know, Scripture has no regard for our era, our social economic status, our educational level, our nationality, race, national politics, or personal sensibilities. The Bible just says what it says. And we'll either be open to how the Holy Spirit speaks to us, or we won't. When we do open up our hearts, God speaks to us. But what we do with that is up to us. We can reject his promptings, puff up in pride, dig in our heels, and stay the way we are. Or we can repent in humility, let God do his work, and we can follow the trail guide. What we do with God's word is a choice we make for ourselves. And then we will live with the consequences. If we reject God's instructions as revealed in Scripture, we have rejected good counsel. We have determined that we are smarter than God. We have set off on our own and we fired the trail guide. In doing so, we choose lostness and we choose death. If we embrace God's instructions, we've accepted good counsel. And we will grow in knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And in doing so, we choose the path that leads to life and life eternal. Paul is about to lay out a case to the Colossians. What they do with that will be up to them. I close with these timeless words of Joshua. As the children of Israel prepared to enter the land that God had promised to Abraham before you this day, his blessing and cursing, life and death. So choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.